You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Man, so excited to hear from, from Pastor Keith Baldridge. Let me read just a little bio for you. The Livingstone Church is a North American mission board church plant founded by Pastor Keith Baldridge on August 21st of 2016 in Broomfield, Colorado, which you just saw some of that. Before planting the Livingstone Church, Pastor Keith and his wife, Sherry, which Sherry is in here somewhere, I think, little wave. Everybody say, hi, Sherry. Excellent. Way to go, team. Uh, His wife, Sherry, had enjoyed serving 15 years of college ministry together. Uh, He went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, graduated from there, and was up at um, FBC Canyon, Texas, as a college pastor, but then also college pastor, Indiana Avenue Baptist Church in Lubbock from 2010 2015 just down the road. A couple of things I'll tell you about Keith as he comes up here. One really important thing you need to know is Pastor Keith has a really strong beard game, okay? <laughs> like really good beard. And uh, I, I uh, value that about him. But more importantly, uh, this man and his wife, they love Jesus. We've taken teams up to spend time with them, I think two or three times. And um, man, it's their, their love for Jesus, their love for people, their love for their community that they serve in is so evident. And also they're, they're He's a family man. Um, he puts his family first, and uh, I love that about him. So honored to hear them this morning. Would you guys please give Pastor Keith a very big venue welcome? Thanks, Brandon. I told you I'd give you five bucks if you rededicated your life, but I'm going to have to pay you more for that compliment. Hey, listen, it's so good to be back with you here in Lubbock. This, this town means so much to my family and I. I was born here in 1978. Don't do the math, please. Uh, but uh, I have family that has lived here in West Texas for generations, and, and Lubbock is such a great place. Listen, we just blew into town last Friday with that dust storm, and uh, I do not miss the taste of Lubbock. It's, it's gritty. Um, but, uh, you know, that song we just sang, that the band just sang, Rain came, wind blew. We should rewrite that for Lubbock, really. It should be mud came, (laughs) wind blew. But uh, man, it's so good to be back here. We miss Lubbock. Uh, We miss you guys. Uh, We miss the taste of barbecue and and, uh, Mexican food. Colorado does not have that. As Pastor Brandon said, uh, I was on staff at Indiana Avenue uh, Baptist Church just right down the road here, did college ministry for about 15 years total at several different churches uh, and then the Lord put it on our heart to move to Denver to plant a church. And we have been there since 2016. And um, the reason the Lord put that city on our heart was because we were praying. God had been stirring in our heart for many years now uh, this desire to go plant the church. And selfishly, we wanted to be here. Selfishly, we wanted to be in Texas, the greatest nation in the world. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Lord had other plans. And so, uh, we, we prayed through those things. It's a long story. I told it the last time we were here a couple of years ago. Um, but all that to say, the Lord put it on our heart to move outside of the Bible Belt and start a church where there are few. Now, Denver, you may not realize this because Denver is kind of a city that you pass through on the way to the mountains, maybe, or uh, to other parts of the country. But listen, Denver is 95%, 94%, I'm sorry, 94% unchurched. of the population in our city, in Northwest Denver, 
is unchurched. That means 94% of the people have no relationship with God whatsoever. So in other words, if you pull up to a, a red light and there's 10 other, there's nine other people there and you're the 10th person, chances are you're the only believer at that intersection. Just a couple of years ago, the percentage was 93%. The needle is moving in the wrong direction. We need more churches. We need more churches planted. If you take the mountain and Pacific time zones, just the mountain and Pacific time zones and make it its own country, it would be the fourth largest lost country in the world next to India and Indonesia and China. It is the fourth, it would be like the fourth largest lost country in the world. So you find that statistic 90 to 95% of any major city in the Western US is lost. There's a problem. There's a big problem. We planted the church back in 2016. We're 100% portable. You got to see a little bit of that in the video. That means we pull trailers to a school that we rent on Sunday mornings and we offload everything. It's a big production. We have to set up a truss, much like this above me, every single week. We have to set up chairs. We have to set up pipe and drape video. We have to set up a screen, a couple of screens in the auditorium. We have to set up six kids' rooms and welcome and all the signage and all that stuff every single week. And we love doing it. But we spend about anywhere from ninety to $100,000 a year just to rent the school from the school district every single year. Nearly 300 people have prayed to receive Christ since we started, however. Nearly 300. Now, that may not seem a lot to you in the Bible Belt, but that is a big deal. That is a big deal for a church plant that's only five years old. It can take up to 10 years for a church plant to become self-sufficient in Denver. We're really close to that right now. The Lord has been doing a great work in Denver. He's been doing a great work in Denver right now. Uh, right now, our service is going on in Denver, and, and there are uh, people that are going to get to hear about Jesus for the first time in their lives. Um, we are running about 300 to 350 on a Sunday morning. We are the fourth largest church in North Denver right now. I mean, that, that ought to tell you how unchurched it is. However, despite all those things, despite COVID, despite uh, liberal policies that are in place and the mask mandates. You know, you guys got to go maskless for a long time. We just got our masks removed just about a year ago. And so we've been dealing with all those things, trying to be, uh, trying to be creative and reaching our people, reaching our city. And we believe God is doing something big in the midst of that. Southcrest, you've been with us since the beginning. You have a hand in our ministry. The people that have heard about Jesus, the people that are, are, are uh, you know, coming to know Jesus for the first time, whole families getting to understand who Jesus is. You guys have a hand in that. You guys have been with us since the beginning, not only financially, but Brandon and, and the college ministry in the past has sent us mission teams and you guys have been working with us. You guys have been praying with us. You guys have been fighting the good fight with us. Just last year, just last year, you came in really strong when our trailers were stolen. One night, about a year ago, both of our trailers were stolen. Insurance would only cover about a quarter of what was stolen. We had about a quarter of a million dollars on the trailers, and they were both stolen in one night. But you guys came in strong with a big gift to help us recover and buy new stuff. It's an incredible thing. Since then, 
Since then, we've been growing. Since then, God has been doing great things in our church. In fact, just to brag on our people, our people are starting to catch the vision of what it means to take the gospel and share it with their neighbors. A few years ago, one of our elderly ladies uh, who had been out of church most of her life came back and found Jesus again, and she got really on fire for God. She started inviting people, her neighbors, anybody that she could think of. Our congressman, she knows. She worked on his campaigns. Now, you got to understand something. This is, this is Denver. This is not a conservative West Texas town. So, so she invited Jared Polis, who was our representative at the time. He's the first openly gay parent in Congress history. She invited him to church. And guess what? He came. He came to church and he got to hear the gospel. Not only that, he's a Jewish man, a political leader in our state. And just, I can't make this up. This is so crazy. This is how good God is. And this is how God works behind the scenes. The sermon that day was over Nicodemus, a Jewish political religious leader who had questions for Jesus. And we were like, this is crazy. So he got to hear a Jewish man, a political leader, got to have questions maybe in his heart about Jesus. So he got exposed to the gospel. We built a relationship with him that morning. This lady that goes to our church, her name is Rachel. She passed away last year due to COVID. Uh, she had some scar tissue in her lung and it made her, made her breathing labored, but she was an amazing woman. And I was asked to do her funeral. Guess who showed up? Governor Polis. He's no longer our congressman. He's now our governor. First openly gay governor in Colorado's history. He got to hear the gospel a second time through our church. You've been with us from the beginning. We have countless stories like that, stories that you just cannot make up. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Recently with the Marshall Fire in Boulder, Colorado, a thousand homes, over a thousand homes were destroyed. You guys helped us by sending us a love offering that we're able to we're actually using that this next month to go out and serve homes, serve families, uh, buy things that are in need. The short-term needs were great. The long-term needs are even greater. You guys have helped us minister to our city, to our community, and God is being glorified. As I was thinking about what to share with you, as I was praying through this this week, the thing that God has been putting on my heart personally is to abide that's a word that in the Bible Belt maybe just loses its meaning, but I'm telling you, for people who are just now stepping into faith with Jesus, this is a life-changing word. In fact, a man that I'm discipling, a man that I'm discipling, I met with him this week, and he's a, he's fairly a new believer. We were talking about what it means to do great things for God, to live a life that glorifies him, to live a life of doing great things for him. And the conversation quickly turned to why, why we do these things. Now, true, you and I are going to stand before Jesus someday. True, you and I are going to have to give an account for our lives as believers. But if I do things with that in mind, then I've already received my reward. If I do those things to stand out or to be popular or to be famous, I've already received my reward. But the Bible teaches us that if I abide with Jesus, if I stay near him, then fruit and ministry just naturally happen. This is what I love about 
the gospel. It teaches us so much, even those of us that have been Christians most of our lives. Let me tell you a story. Born in 1981, Matthew Emmons is one of the best shooters in the history of American shooting. Across his career, the four-time Olympian has won numerous titles, including one gold, one silver, and one bronze at the Olympic Games, plus a gold and bronze medal at the World Championships. But he might be better known for the Olympic gold medals he didn't win, rather than the ones he did. In 2004, at the Athens Olympics, the 23-year-old Emmons stepped into the Olympic Games shooting range for the first time. At first, everything went smoothly until, until the final shot. He had almost a perfect score. And as he looks down the range, all he had to do, he was so far ahead of the second place man. All he had to do was hit somewhere on this 10 inch target, just anywhere. Something that you and I could easily do. If you have never shot a gun, you could probably hit it. That's all he had to do. And he secure, he would secure the gold medal. That's all he had to do. He had to just look down the range, point his gun and hit anywhere on the paper and he would receive a gold medal. As he looks down the range, he takes aim and he shoots. He lets go, he, he fires the trigger, the, the bullet goes, comes out of the gun and it fires all the way down the range. He looks up at the scoreboard and it says zero. Zero. They looked at the target next to his and there was a bullseye. He was aiming at the wrong target. We have to make sure we're aiming at the right target. Now this is missions weekend. Missions emphasis is something you guys do really well. But before we go do, we have to be. Before we go do great things for God, which he has called us to do, before we step out of these, out of these doors this morning, we have to realize that we got to aim at the right thing. If we're missing the mark, that's a big problem. Before all else, I must know who I am in Jesus. Now that's a simple thought, but I just want to encourage you to think about this just for a moment. Being And understanding who we are with Jesus is so important. Listen to this. Jesus calls us, Peter calls us this, uh, in God's perspective, he says, you are a chosen people. You. God chose you. Much like he chose the the Israelites to be his people, to walk alongside him, to to know him, to to go do great things for his name. He's, He's chosen you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession. That's what he says about you. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You know what that means? Salt was valuable in those days. Salt was more valuable than gold. That's how God sees you. You are valuable. If you didn't know that already, you're so valuable that Jesus died on the cross for you. I know we hear that a lot in the Bible, Belt, but listen to this. Think about it from God's perspective. God loves you so much right where you are with all your baggage, all your filth. He loves you enough to give his only son for you. I don't have that kind of capacity to love you. I'm sorry, I don't. I'm a pastor, but my, I have limits. 
You asked me to give up one of my children, even my least favorite child, I couldn't do it. There's no way. I don't love you enough. But God does. Listen to me. God loves you. He loves you enough that he would bankrupt heaven for you. If you were the only person alive, he would give, he would still give his only son just for you. You may be sitting there this morning going, well, why do I need to be forgiven of my sin? I'm not that bad. I go to church every week. Listen, going to church doesn't mean anything to God. Doing great things doesn't really mean anything to God. Without Jesus being the Lord of your life, none of that is, none of that means anything. It's worthless. God calls us to be with him. And out of that, out of that comes ministry. In fact, the primary calling on my life is not to be a pastor, not to be a church planter. The primary calling on my life is intimacy with the Father. Let me say that again. My primary calling, your primary calling, isn't to go do great things for him. Your primary calling is to be intimate with him. And out of that, out of that intimate time with him, out of that abiding with him, out of worshiping him, praying to him, reading his word, listening to what he has to say to you, out of that naturally comes ministry and fruit. How else do you think we've seen almost 300 people in such a spiritually dark place come to know Jesus as their personal savior? Our people are getting this. You are a chosen people, a holy nation. God has something great for you to do, but we can't miss the mark. He calls us to be with him first. I want to take you to John chapter 15. Now, this is, this is an important night in the Gospels. And if you've never studied the Gospels before, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth Gospel. It's the stories about Jesus. And this story comes to us the night that Jesus is going to be uh, uh, handed over to sinful men, uh, men, that are gonna, men that are gonna hold a mock trial. They're gonna beat him within an inch of his life. They're gonna rip out chunks of his beard. They're gonna whip him and beat him near to death before they nail him to the cross. And Jesus knows this is coming. He knows this is coming. The next day, this is coming. And so he spends time with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal. He washes their feet an incredibly emotional moment for the disciples. They didn't fully understand it, but I'm just thinking from Jesus' perspective as he's washing their feet, he's teaching them not only what servanthood looks like, but he's, he's actually calling them to wash away the things that they picked up that day on their feet, right? He, he says, I, I, just, I need to wash the things that you picked up today so that you can remain a chosen people, so that you can remain near me, so that you can abide with me. So listen to this. Anything Jesus says at this table this night must be important because he knows tomorrow brings separation from his disciples. You've heard this before if you've been in church, but I just want to take you here because maybe you'll see it in a fresh way this morning. John chapter 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Let's stop here for just a second. Every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit, Jesus says that the vine dresser takes it away. Other translations says uh, things like he cuts it off. That is a bad translation, by the way. Let me just clarify that. 
Our God is not someone that just cuts you off the minute you stop producing fruit and throws you away. This is not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying to his disciples this night is he's saying like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm the true vine. You guys are the branches. If any branch that is not bearing fruit, then the, then the vine dresser picks that, that branch up and, and the Greek wording is the word eros. It's where we get our word airplane from. It means lift. He lifts up that branch that's not bearing fruit and puts it on the trellis or puts it next to the vine so that it will bear fruit. That word so that is the Greek word henna, which means this is the entire reason. The entire reason the vine dresser does this is so that it will bear fruit. God wants you to bear fruit, but you have to remain with the vine. Now, my grandmother lived in Plainview. And when I was a kid, we used to go see her. We used to travel from Oklahoma, that dark and dreary land of Oklahoma, to come visit my family in West Texas. Uh, and, and we would drive hours just to get there. But one of my favorite things to do when I was a kid was to go in the backyard and eat grapes off the grapevine. Anybody else have grapevines here? Two. All right. Guess they were a thing of the 80s. If you know anything about grapevines, they like to spread, right? They like to spread out across the yard. When we lived in Canyon, Texas, we had a, a, a similar fence that was covered with grapevines. And, and I would have to, before I would mow, I'd always take the branches that were trying to become their own vine off the grass and lift them up and throw them over the fence, my neighbor's fence, just so that they would be out of the way. But, but I'm, not a, I'm not a vine dresser. But Jesus says the father picks up those vines that are trying to use its energy, trying to use everything within them to make their own roots, to do their own thing. And he says, I'm not okay with that. You're a branch connected to the true vine. And so what the vine dresser does is he lifts that up and puts it with the true vine so that it will bear fruit for him. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. This is the Greek word that means cleanse or purge. We'll talk about that in a moment. Listen to what Jesus says next in verse three. He says, already, already, you, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. That word clean means you're fit to bear fruit. It's the same word that he uses in John chapter 13 when he's washing the disciples' feet. He says, you're ready. In other words, he's been spending three years with these men. He's, he's training them up. He's discipled them. Now he's, got, he's about to leave them, and he wants to make sure that they understand that they are fit. They are ready. You are ready. But he's encouraging them. Look at the very next word in verse 4. He says this, abide. Abide in me, and I in you. This word abide is... A, in the Greek language, it's, it's an imperative. It, it, it's, it's actually a command. In fact, it's an urgent command. Not just abide with me once a week. Not just abide with me when I feel like it. Not just abide with me whenever the uh, Tech basketball team loses to Duke, which, by the way, we were pulling from, from Denver for Tech. Don't just abide whenever you go to small group or... He says, abide with me urgently, daily. Abide with me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Daily. 
at the Livingstone Church in Denver, we're teaching our people what it means to abide. And I can't tell you, it's beautiful. For those of you that are parents, when, you're, when your child, when your baby took those first few steps or said that first few words, which by the way, all my daughters said dad that first, let's just set that record straight. I'm the popular one in the house. Um, I think my wife taught them to say that so they would stop calling her mama. But, but uh, you know, as a parent, when your child takes those first few steps, man, it's, it's just so powerful. It's emotional. That's how we feel in Denver when we see someone who's never understood the gospel before understand for the first time what it means to have a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about these words like abide, it means something so much different to them than it did to me when I was growing up. And I'm telling you, in Denver, if you want to be a Christian, you really have to be a Christian. You really want to have to be a Christian because you are the minority. You are often uh, segregated into a political party. You are often, well, you're just a Bible thumper, weird, like, you know, those types of people that, that, that uh, protest uh, funerals of Marine members or, or, you know, the army or things like that. That's how they see us. And we're coming with the gospel of peace. We're coming with the gospel of love. And so when someone embraces that, when someone understands what it means to abide in Jesus, it's a big deal. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, listen to this in verse five, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are stark words. And Jesus isn't just mincing, he's not mincing words here. He's, he's not just using this flippantly either. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. So what's he telling the disciples? You have to abide in me. If you want to bear fruit, if you don't want to just live a life that's just selfish and, and meaningless, and when you stand before Christ, have nothing to offer him, then you have to abide. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We like to say at the Livingstone Church, prayer is the work. So how do we abide? Prayer is one of those things. Prayer is the work. At the Livingstone Church, we believe that prayer is the work. We don't work and then pray and hope God moves. No, we pray. We pray and then God works. In fact, uh, just a couple of years ago, um, I was actually a little over a year ago, uh, one of our new believers, uh, he, he, you saw him in the video, he baptized his whole family. His name's Luke. His dad, Doug, is from Southeast Colorado. And he had a tumor the size of a golf ball on his heart. It was gonna be fatal for him. Luke, a new believer, asked if we could pray over his dad during church, something we typically don't really do, but I said, yeah, let's do it. This is during the, the mandates and everybody's wearing masks. Everybody's six feet apart in Denver. And we invited people to come forward. And I was shocked. Our people didn't care. They came forward. They laid hands on Doug. They prayed for him. And immediately, immediately, God healed Doug. That tumor was gone just like that. You know how I know that? Because a month later, we got reports back from the doctor that said, we don't know what to, we don't know how to explain this, but the tumor is gone. This golf ball sized tumor on his heart is gone. Luke called me. Luke called me and he's just so excited. Actually, he was not, I was excited. He, he was so melodramatic. He's like, well, you know, got the reports back. Uh, my dad's tumor's gone. I was like, what? You gotta be kidding me. Your dad's tumor's gone. I was like, I can't believe it. And here's a pastor saying that, right? I can't believe it. God healed, God answered our prayer. And he said, well, God, we asked God and 
You know, we asked him to, so what's the big deal? <laughs> I'm just like, man, that's like the faith, like a child, you know? We asked God to, and he answered. And over here, I'm going, thank God, this was gonna be really weird if, if God didn't show up and do what he does best. Prayer is the work. Our people saw that firsthand. God is still healing marriages. He's still doing medical miracles. He's still doing things. I'm telling you, in such a dark place like that, it's like when God shows up, it's like his light shines so bright. His light is just shining bright and, and, and we're seeing things like first century church stuff. Like it's just crazy. No speaking in tongues because we're Baptist, but, but still you get the point, right? God is moving in great ways that I can't just make up. And there's dozens and dozens of stories. I want to tell you this. This is how we abide. A Jesus follower spends time with God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you and I are called to spend time with him. I want to take you to a simple little passage in Luke chapter, 42, uh, chapter 4, verse 42. Luke chapter 4 says this. When it was day, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place. Now he is in Capernaum. I've actually been there. I've actually been to the house that they think Jesus spent the night in. And it says early in the morning, he goes out to this desolate place. In my mind, it's just to the east of where this town is, Capernaum. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus is doing there, but Mark chapter one tells us exactly what he's doing. He's praying. Here, here's the story. Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been doing miracles. He's been healing people, meeting needs. He's exhausted. He goes to bed the next morning before the sun comes up. What is Jesus doing? He's out in a desolate place, in a solitary place, and he's spending time with God. Now listen, if Jesus needs that, how much more do you and I? He's spending time with God. He's listening to the Father. Sometimes we come to God with our, our to-do list or our things that are on our hearts and we don't do any listening. We come with all these things that we need him to do for us or we want him to do for us, but we don't do any listening. Jesus didn't have a New Testament Bible then. He didn't have a Bible that he carried around with him. That was his God time. He spent time with him daily listening to what God wanted him to do. And that energized him. And out of the overflow of his time, his intimacy with the Father came ministry. Don't miss that. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He could probably forego those mornings, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it because he needed that intimacy with the Father. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, is what the scripture says. In verse 43, it says, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. That word other towns is the Greek word heteros. It means another of a different kind. It's beautiful to see this in our context now, looking back 2,000 years, Jesus came with a message for the other towns, not just the Jewish race, not just the, the people near Capernaum, but the other towns. It's for this reason that he was sent. How do you think he heard that from God? Because he spent time with him. And if we don't spend time with God, we will be completely disconnected from the vine, spiritually speaking. God has called us to spend time with him. Second thing I wanna share with you this morning, a Jesus follower pursues God. If you claim the name of Jesus, if you claim his name and you're here this morning, 
A Jesus follower pursues God. Mark chapter three. How do I know this? I want to take you to the, this passage in Mark chapter three. It says, and he, Jesus, went up on a mountain. This is right after he's called the 12 disciples to follow him. And he called to him those whom he desired, the 12, and they came to him. Here's that Greek word again, so that they might be with him. You see, before Jesus sends these disciples out to go do ministry, he calls them up on this mountain so that the entire reason that he calls them up on this mountain is so that they would spend time with him. And out of the overflow of intimacy with God, they would go do ministry. They would go cast out demons. They would go preach the gospel. They would go meet needs. So before you and I leave this room this morning, we have to get it right to spend time with him daily, to pursue him regularly. This is what he's called us to do. Because your position matters as a child of God. This isn't just some selfish religion where we accept this free gift of eternal life and just keep it to ourselves. There's people here in Lubbock that need to hear the gospel. There's people around you that aren't Christians. There are people that are around you that are spiritually dead and are going to hell. That's the truth. Let's call it for what it is. Think about that. Eternity separated from God. Being punished for all eternity. Something that I asked Brandon permission to do is if I could share the gospel with you. Because even though we're in Lubbock, Texas, there's bound to be someone in this room that has never fully trusted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. He said, absolutely, do what you do every Sunday. As the band comes up, I just want to tell you how much God loves you. This morning, if you're here, maybe you've gone to church most of your life. Maybe you've been involved in ministry. Maybe you've gone on mission trips. Maybe you're a member here at Southcrest. But maybe, just maybe, you've never really truly made Jesus the Lord of your life. Again, let me, let me just share this with you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you right where you are with all your baggage, all your stuff. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Let me, let me retranslate that. Let me put it this way. While you were an enemy of God, while you were far from him, God loved you. While you were an enemy, God loved you enough to give his only son for you. I don't know a person in this room that would give up any one of their children for an enemy. Who's the biggest enemy these days? I guess Putin, maybe. Without getting political in our own country, Putin, maybe. I mean, who's our biggest enemy? Putin, maybe. Not one of us would give up our child to save an enemy. But God did that for you. God did that for you. He loved you. He loved you enough to give up his only son for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says if we believe in our heart, don't miss this. 
If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that we too can be saved. You know, it's not by works. You can't do enough good works to go to heaven. It's not by going to church. It's not by volunteering. There's nothing you can do except, except the, the blood of Jesus. That's why we sang that song earlier. The blood of Jesus is what covers us and covers our shameful sin. And by that, our sins are forgiven. Listen, if you're here this morning, you, you would never, uh, if, if, if you're here this morning and you stood before God this morning, let's say something happens as we leave this building and you get in a car wreck, you die, you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my kingdom? If you don't know what you would say, this moment is for you. Bible says, believe, trust, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. So listen, here's what we're going to do. We do this every day, every Sunday at the living stone, with every head bowed, every eye closed. If this is you this morning, would you just repeat this simple prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I'm coming to you this morning with all of my stuff. God, I know that I'm a sinner. Tell God that. Say, God, I know that I need you. God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Go ahead and tell him. Say, God, I don't know everything, but I know I need you. that Jesus died on the cross for me. Tell him that. See, I believe you raised him to life on the third day. Tell God thank you. Just thank him. Thank him for saving you. In your heart, just tell him thank you. Thank you for loving me. that prayer with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just prayed that prayer this morning, would you just raise your hand real quick? The first time ever. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? If you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do something bold. Would you come down forward in this next few moments as the band leads us? Would you tell that to someone that's down here at the front? That you just prayed that prayer. We're going to walk with you. Father, thank you for this time. God, I pray that we wouldn't take anything for granted. Father, I pray that there are people here, if there are people here that have never truly abided with you, God, that we would make that an effort to spend time with you, to pursue you before we go do great things. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. If you are encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 